The sun's a shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove, beer showers. It's just the very best time for an old Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver, so ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. missing the greater point of the show, Paladin Butters. Yeah, I know. Winter is coming and there's dragons and zombies on the way. I'm pretty excited for that. Broadcasting from the bowels of the Red Keep, a king's road away from a fallen Winterfell and their wintry exile of Castle Black, you're listening to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers with Maester Daniel and Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi and other things that sound cool and stuff. For the night is dark and full of... Spoilers. It's it's full of spoilers and stuff. For the night is dark and full of... Spoilers! I keep watching that show and I'm still waiting for the darn dragons to show up and, and kick everyone's butts. Game of Thrones Season 1 through 7. Winter is coming. Game of Thrones Season 8. Winter lasts 82 minutes. This is The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I'm Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi. He's the esteemed Maester Daniel on loan from the Citadel. And today we're breaking down the third episode of Season 8 of Game of Thrones, The Long Night. 
an episode that both Maester Daniel and I in many ways feel perfectly encapsulates the evolution of Game of Thrones over the last three seasons. Viscerally thrilling and epic in scale, but frustrating and incongruous with the mythology and lore of the acclaimed book series in which it's based. But we've got a lot of ground to cover and only a limited amount of time in which to do it, so let's zip around the map, starting first, Maester Daniel, with the death of the Night King, the great existential threat of Game of Thrones that rendered all the political squabbles meaningless for seven seasons at the hands of one Arya Stark. His absence, the existential threat, I feel like it'll be missed for myriad reasons, but it's done, the Night King is dead, thus eradicating the army of the dead via Arya's Valyrian steel dagger cat's paw, which was used by a Littlefinger proxy in the assassination attempt of Bran in Season 1, Episode 2. The same dagger Littlefinger held to Ned Stark's throat. The weapon intended to kill him ended up saving him. The last man who wielded it meant to cut your throat. Do you know who this belonged to? That very question was what started the War of the Five Kings. In a way, that dagger made you what you are today. Forced from your home, driven out to the wilds beyond the wall. I imagine you've seen things most men wouldn't believe. So, Maester Daniel, was Arya the right choice? Yeah, Arya is one of the choices. I mean, at worst, she was always number three. You know, when we talked about it three years ago, four years ago, Jon and Daenerys obviously were the two that we thought would be the most high likelihood, but she was always third in line, especially when she got the Valyrian steel dagger. And then she had a dragon glass weapon. It was obvious she was going to, and we even said it last time, when we did this, that she was going to probably make it now. I thought that she would have much of a, a much more tragic end, but she's not. I mean, she used the only real question, I guess, is where she come from. But everything else was great. I thought it was good that they showed how she could hear a little drop, her little drop dive straight to the stomach or right to the diaphragm, I guess, of the Night King, right where he got stabbed by the dragon glass dagger right there in between his armor. They accomplished with their goal. And Arya is absolutely, you know, I have no problem with Arya killing the Night King. It's the manner in which it was brought about. And they could come back next episode and they could have some exposition about it. But just the way we got there was problematic with the writing. Spectacle is good. Yes, and that's where Maester Daniel and I will cover this, the long night, in many different ways. Arya ridding Westeros of the Night King as a development that works tremendously as the resolution of Arya's journey within the Long Night. Not so much in terms of the big picture of the show's story. The Night King dies without any clear motivation beyond Bran's abstract notion of his vendetta against memory, that he's seeking an eternal winter slash night. Having said that, and if you'll indulge a Lord of the Rings reference, Arya was ill when in the Battle of Pelennor, no man can kill me. I'm not a man. No one can kill the Night I King. I am no man. I am no man. No one can kill the Night King. Well, no one did. She reclaimed her identity, did Arya, as Arya Stark. But it's a callback to Arya's training with the faceless men of Bravos, and Arya rejecting that teaching of the many-faced god, using as foreshadowed in her training duel with Brienne, a sleight-of-hand knife drop, plunging her Valyrian steel dagger, as you mentioned, into the chest of the Night King, the same place in which the children of the forest plunge dragonglass, thus creating him, their weapon against man. But her action, for me, begs one question. Who is, was Azora High? If the final prophecy was the one that was promised ending the long night, then it's not John or Danny. Remember when Melisandre returned, she didn't seek out John. She didn't seek out Danny. She sought out Arya. I know you. 
And I know you. He said we'd meet again. And here we are. At the end of the world. You said I'd shut many eyes forever. You were right about that too. Brown eyes. Green eyes. And blue eyes. Melisandre's whole shtick throughout the entire show and for much of the books was about that prophecy. And she was pretty convinced that it was either John or Danny. Once she was no longer convinced, it was Stannis. But it never explicitly comes up here. Is Arya now the princess that was promised? Who is that savior? Or was it ultimately all of them together? I don't think it'll actually be any one person. George R. R. Martin, even in the books, has other people who doubt prophecy and some of its what it means the implication then it always talks about how people read prophecy wrong everybody does melisandre has starts having doubts in the fifth book herself about what her real purpose and what really is going on so you know that's one of those things that they've really made a mess of the magical aspect of it and i understand it's hard to make that translate to television as opposed from the words from the written word and Brand's story, we talked about it when we first started doing these, about how difficult it would be to tell Brand's story. But they kind of just, especially now that we have shortened seasons, they kind of just accept it. They even have to make a mess of their earlier episodes when it came to the White Walkers. The White Walkers were heading south before they had anything to do with the Three-Eyed Raven. They were coming anyway. It retroactively makes season seven bad. It makes... Their plot to go beyond the wall and brands, I guess, allowing it to happen, ridiculous. It makes them even dumber, some of the decisions they made. I was quick to express my disappointment in the episode on Twitter immediately following my initial viewing, mostly because (laughs) I felt it was a a great idea. That's a great idea. Go straight straight to Twitter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I felt it was a complete disregard for the predominant themes and narrative laws established in the novels that... Obviously, you know far better than I do. But my second viewing changed my perspective somewhat, though my overall criticisms remain mostly intact. You can speak on this far better than me. As a book loyalist and staunch protector of the lore and mythology of the series itself, did the long night leave a lot to be desired? And if so, why? Because in my view, while the episode was viscerally thrilling, it was also confirmation that the White Walker arc, as you just mentioned and alluded to, was a huge waste, and the showrunners are quite simply uninterested at best inept at worst in dealing with the fantasy aspects of the plot. The Long Night, as portrayed in the show, lasted literally one night. It was fun, if not claustrophobic and terrifying, but it was also maddening if you actually care about anything this series has been leading up to. Effectively, all the mystery and theorizing is gone. We're operating under Occam's Razor now, as in we're attempting to predict how the series will conclude, which is what these podcasts and what Reddit forums and... Uh, Game of Thrones forms are all based around. You assume now the simplest, most direct solution is the correct one. Everything involving mythos and magic feels done. This is no longer the Game of Thrones of the first four seasons. Not that it's not still must-watch TV. It most certainly is. But it's frustrating for those of us who are all consumed with lore and mythology. And as only you can, Maester Daniel, explain then how last night's defeat of the Night King, who has no name in the books, is a departure from the source material and what was lost from a story perspective with his demise specifically pertaining to the story mythos? Well, you, that was he was always going to be the guy. The very first scene in the novels and in the show, 
establishes how dangerous these creatures are. It's almost a shot-for-shot adaptation. I mean, it's almost exactly how you picture it in the books. They go out on a ranging, those three dudes. They the find, three members of the Night's Watch. Yeah, the three members of the Night's Watch, the one that Ned Stark ends up beheading. And it's his perspective, and he sees him in a, in a, a knight who's a, a fourth son of some Vale Lord, Bronze Jan Royce, actually, the guy who keeps getting interrupted talking to Sansa in the show. And his son rides out there and gets killed by a White Walker, and the White Walker immediately raises him back up. And the White Walker says something. They don't know what it says. They don't even call him the White Walkers. They call him the Others. It's where Lost got it from, really. And so they establish immediately, there's the bad guy. If you've never watched Star Trek or any serialized sci-fi or fantasy, that's a pretty pretty big deal. He can raise the dead. Just on a simple logic perspective, it makes their plan stupid. Because all the people that are planning the battle should know that the dude that they're fighting his main superpower, the reason he's riding the dragon you gave him, is that he can raise the dead. And you just stuck your most vulnerable people into a kill box, basically. <laughs> yep. It's like charging the beaches at Normandy. You're charging, instead of bullets and Germans, it's corpses. But nobody bat. I mean, nobody major died in the crypts either. So, Okay. Look, I freely admit The Long Night is inarguably, and I think you would agree with this, the greatest achievement in television history. You'll never see anything like it. The sheer scale is insane, man. Right. But I'm like you, and what drew me to Game of Thrones was the mythology. And I can't get past the feeling the 82 minutes of the episode were far more consequential as a production feat, which was remarkable, than as an actual event in the narrative of this show which has been a recurring problem with these large-scale battle scenes, specifically beyond the wall. And we both agree the developments of The Long Night made the whole trip north of the wall in Season 7 completely and utterly pointless. It's now dumber than it already was. But to borrow from the AV Club, and I really like this thought, The Night King was essentially, or excuse me, seemingly introduced as a tragedy with his creation and then just wages a war with no stated purpose and dies without doing anything but kill off a few supporting characters whose arcs were always headed toward death to begin with. This is yet another large-scale battle, similar to the Battle of the Bastards, where the moment you start getting your breath back and begin taking stock of what happened, the spell of the immersion breaks, and you realize that there's not as much there here as you were hoping for. Fair? That's fair, but I mean, I understand why they did some things like cloud in the battlefield, because it would have cost a fortune, I'm sure, (laughs) to try to shoot this in the daytime. But even then, they didn't follow any... In the, the, we talk about how people make mistakes all the time. Daenerys and John are so dumb in this fight. John knows that a, a, a freaking blizzard comes. He watched it happen three seasons ago. The very first time he watched them raise the army he's fighting now, a blizzard came first. You didn't? Did he forget? To his defense. The plan was not to charge in with the dragons, but once Danny saw the Dothraki horde get taken out, her emotion overcame her, and she jumped on her dragon, so he had to improvise. So in that respect, maybe he was trying to get to those White Walkers before the blizzard came. He could have known it, but had no choice but to try to make his last stand, if you will, against the White Walkers. Right. I mean, but it was hopeless to begin with. It's obvious that 
they wanted spectacle instead of real life because they didn't do anything that normal battles were due to. Before Melisandre showed up, they were just going to go let them ride in there with just normal Iraq, you know, the little uh, curved yeah. sizes they use. I've got some notes about that, but before we get to it, having said all that, I think the show will benefit now that the story has narrowed in scope to the political intrigue that Benioff it's not, and Weiss. But it's not really that, it's not really that narrowed because we have so many main characters alive. We're going to have to have a whole nother three and a half hours of character interactions. You get the I think we're going to live. The only thing that I can think of is maybe Tyrion kind of knew from talking to Bran. But again, it happens off screen. These guys that write have important stuff happen off screen. You have to just assume that's a problem in TV. It's not a problem in the books because you can have other characters fill the gaps. You have 1,500 pages to write. But in this, they just kind of just hope you fill in the gaps. And that's not how, it's not how it works on TV, unfortunately. It's time for Flea Bottom Corner, where in previous editions of The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers, I nitpick Game of Thrones as I always do with a few bowls of brown. Mm -hmm. However, today, we'll serve some good brown and some bad brown as we walk the King's Road, effectively breaking down the long night piece by piece. First, some good. The return of Melisandre, including her lighting of the trench. Mel's been gone since last season after Davos confronted her about the sacrifice of Shireen Mm -hmm. in service of the Lord of Light and aiding Stannis, who she believed to be the prince that was promised, she convinced John to spare her because, as she said, he knew he'd need her in the wars, or what turned out to be the war to come. As the tension built and battle was mere minutes away, she rode up on horseback to meet the Winterfell defenses. I don't know where she came from and how she's not a member of the Army of the Dead, but that will likely never be answered, and it doesn't really matter. She meets Jorah, requesting he command the Dothraki to raise their swords. She casts a spell of swords, and the swords of the Dothraki horde are engulfed in flames, and a sort of firefly effect follows as the flaming swords grew in numbers. Beautifully done, as was the shot of their flames going out as they charged the army of the dead. But now the Dothraki are completely wasted. Think about this. They spent their entire existence in Essos with no desire to ever cross the Narrow Sea. And they had the reasons, but when they finally did, they were wiped out, and for all intents and purposes, they all died. The Dothraki are no mm-hmm. more. And Benioff said, in the, he said that in, in the inside the episode. And that's ridiculous. I don't watch this. That's ridiculous. Basic military strategy, as you mentioned, you don't throw your cavalry in first. It doesn't work. You hold it in reserve. Ramsey did it, and it didn't the, work. The whole, but, the, the, this, it, but it negates the entire reason that they're scary in the first place. Robert Baratheon even said, you ever met a Dothraki in the open field? It's because it's a scare man. The, the dead aren't scared of any of those people. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> they were going to let them ride in there with unlit unlit weapons that weren't even dragon glass. And thankfully, Melisandre came up. That's actually, uh, that's not one I actually was that nitpicky about. No, I love it. That was a good bowl of brown in my good Because brown. She, she shows up, she's, a, um, she's the quintessential red woman, the um, follower of the Lord of Light. I think that her inner heat or whatever fire magic she has is made stronger near the dragons. So she's able to walk through the call. I think that that, that even though he's immune to dragon fire, apparently that he still senses that she's an opposite, the opposite side of whatever magic they decided it was. Tell them to lift their swords. I
Her return so, was well done. Along mm-hmm. with the lighting of the swords in the trench, the Red Woman provided Arya the pep talk she needed, calling back to Melisandre prophesizing Arya closing eyes for good back in season three. Green eyes, right. brown eyes, blue eyes. All are now taken care of. Littlefinger had green eyes, Walter Frey had brown, and now the Night King has blue. I thought Mel was going to become human lightbringer. And, and that, for me, Maester Daniel was disappointing. I like that she was so much more confident since we last saw her. She knew her purpose. Her confusion was gone. Um, she had mastered her powers. And I'll admit, when she quoted Sirio, Arya's sword dancing partner in her pep talk, that got me. But I'm assuming we're now done with the Lord of Light? Maybe. Maybe they may, and you know, they don't, they could show a couple things. You know, the, maybe the reason Arya was able to disguise herself to do the Night King is because the Hound made a shadow baby, like they did. Technically, she's had King's blood in her now because her and Gendry, maybe that was able, she was able to use that somehow but you you know again it would happen off screen so we don't know we don't know how how her magic works she all she you know she lights the trench at the last second which again they can't help but do jump scares they just seems like they brought her back just to do those things and then have her walk away her dying uh, you know have Dalvas execute her that would have been just as just as fair because he's a man of his word but she just uh wastes away like the mummy. But I thought her arc was well done. It rounded yeah. out pretty well. Um, she was responsible for getting Arya, who killed the Night King, where she needed to be, as did Beric, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. But the bad bowl of brown, the first bad bowl of brown, the Night King's plan. And follow me for a second. It was pretty much the Seahawks at the one-yard line opting to pass rather than hand off to Marshawn Lynch in the Super Bowl, resulting in an interception and championship loss to the Patriots. You had 6,000 years to plan for this. You should have just done nothing if you're the Night King. They're a human army overstuffed in a castle during an endless winter, and you control the weather. Wait two to three months, and they'd likely have run out of food. Even the clunky plan was somewhat forgivable, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. The terrible part was just not waiting. There was no point where the dead could not just overwhelm the living with numbers, and the Mm -hmm. Night King was incredibly impatient after being patient for thousands of years. It's got to be something supernatural that Arya was able to do because he had control of the entire castle almost and the, in the surrounding areas. He'd already, he'd already overwhelmed them. He had already raised all the dead that had just died. Including my boy, our boy Dolores who died because he told Sam, you know, he's like, Get up. Hey, you, yeah. He said, Sam, Sam's a liability out here. And guess what happened? That happened. Sam's hubris got Dolores Ed killed. He told you to go he, in the crypts of John hubris. Snow. Yes, that's Come on, very, man. That's very way, good way to describe it. You should have been yeah, in the crypts with good. Sam and baby Sam and Gilly. But he'd have died there too, probably. No, Sam can't well, die because of plot armor, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I just, uh, I, I understand that. Yeah. I, there's plot armor for everybody now. That's just the way it's going to be. That's, that's, that's actually not one of my complaints. The fact that plot armor exists, I mean, this is the end game. Of course, some people are going to live, but it's funny how they uh, they teased everybody and then they didn't give it to them. A good bowl of Brown, Bran knew his opponent. When John and company are devising their plan, Bran said the Night King would come for him, so he isolated himself in the Godswood. And if you take the narrative of the television show for what it is, Bran knew the Night King would come for him after the battle was won when the army of the dead had overrun Winterfell and all was lost. We're to believe the Night King's arrogance would be his demise, and he let his guard down long enough for Arya to fly in with her incredible vertical leap. It was the only way... <laughs> Where'd she the, come from? That's where'd, what I'm saying. I don't know. where'd she come from? Where'd she come One from? Question. It was the only way 
to borrow from Doctor Strange and Infinity War. My question, though, Mr. Daniel, is what was Brand doing during the battle? And I've got a number of different layers to this, so give me a second. How much did he see? Did he know? Did he just warg into the Ravens to scout the Night King? Blood Raven told Bran he'd never walk again, but he would fly. And he did fly as Ravens in battle, but shouldn't he have done it earlier? So, I don't know, as war prep, but he was doing a disservice to the Army of the Living. I guess it doesn't matter. But what else was, is happening with him? He was out for a while. Maybe he was learning more from the Weirwood Tree. He must have seen what was coming next. Bran knew what was going to happen. Benioff said in the inside of the episode, his final words to Theon came across as if Bran knew what Theon was about to do. In a way, nudged him along. So obviously, he wasn't concerned. He's manipulating events, yeah. yeah. He wasn't concerned when the Night King even went for his sword because if there isn't something more to Bran's warging, as well as his conversation off-screen, as you've already noted with Tyrion in episode two, then the Night King and his army was a fundamentally empty threat capable of being erased in one fell swoop and without any kind of, of purpose beyond their existence. They wasted 90-something of Craster's sons. They just showed up at the end. We're kind of just uh, chilling with the boss. <laughs> and uh, they just, you know, they, they all missed him. They missed, they missed the, the flash. They ended up making the existential threat. And I get, I understand they have a lot to cover. That's another thing that I completely understand, but they, uh, it was the most clunky way possible. They just, in the way they cut away from the action made it tense, but it also, it didn't let you, from one hand, these whites can hear blood, but they can't hear Arya surrounding the only live person in the godswood. Okay. There's nobody else. But and is there more to Brand's warging, do you think? Of course there is. Okay, what could it is. be? He could be uh, using it to scout, but I think he could be also learning to control maybe a dragon. That would be good. They you know, they keep wanting to do fan service. They've talked about it for years, Brand warging into a dragon. So if he could take control of Viserion, that would be terrifying. But, you know, it would be him in control as opposed to the Night King. But I think he's, you know, they got to show something else. I don't know where they could go with him. He was, you know, even he says, who knows what happens afterwards. Maybe they'll actually show him be as an offensive weapon now. What is Bran's role in the books? He's not this far advanced in the books. And no. what could he become mm-hmm. then? Like, what's the, before you knew what they did with him in the show, what did you think Bran was going to be? Melisandre sees him, and she's looking into the fire, and she sees Blood Raven, who is the current Three-Eyed Raven. She sees him with a thousand and one. They called him Brendan Rivers was his name. And they said that he was this master of whispers under another Targaryen king. And they said he had a, a thousand eyes and one. Basically, he could see everything. And uh, she sees a, a crow because he actually ended up being the Lord's commander of the Night's Watch. He took the Night's Watch. And uh, she sees a crow with a thousand eyes. And then she sees a boy sitting next to him, a boy that's, that's with a wolf's head. And he howls. And she's terrified of the vision. She doesn't understand why. So I think he's going to end up being darker, much darker in the books. Because Blood Raven himself is a, is a dark character. He's another Targaryen bastard. There's a lot of them in the books. He murdered his real own relatives, his half-brother, the one who founded the Golden Company, Bittersteel. They hated each other. They were trying to sleep with their other half-sister, who was another Targaryen bastard. They say he drank blood. They say, you know, they 
accused him of being a vampire because he was albino almost, and he had a big blood spot on him that looked like a raven. That's why they called him Blood Raven. It was an ink wine. It was like a wine birthmark that covered his face and neck. And uh, that's how everybody did that. He actually doesn't tell Bran his name when Bran first meets him. He just says he comes from a family long ago, and he's ancient in, in the books. And so I think Bran is going to end up communicating through because they still most of the Starks, including Arya, can warg. They still can in the books. So I think that's how they're going to end up communicating with one another over this big space. I think the only one who couldn't is going to be Sansa because her her wolf died so early. Which again, that's when they abandoned the the dire wolves. They abandoned a whole central section of the story. It's good because Bran is going to be the same type of character there, except he'll be the more of a wizard almost because he's going to be able to fight the night King and the army of the dead. That's coming. One long John, theory that we can officially put to bed is Bran is the night King that was squashed yeah, on Sunday. I knew there was going to be some rush riding. And so that's why I'm much more forgiving than I would otherwise been because that one, that was just been the hackish still. If they try to make it, make him the bad guy. Yeah, I was glad to see that there wasn't a relationship there. I was mm-hmm. quite ready mm-hmm. to see Bran and the Night King like shake hands or something. I'm glad he didn't talk either. You know, yes. again, why, 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 you don't have to make him talk. That's another. Well, they made him intimidating. He's very intimidating. His him, look, his look down at Bran was awesome. When he was above the battlefield, he's riding on top of the dragon. You see Perfect. Him. Yeah, that was great. When and the ravens made, approach him on his dragon, mm-hmm. it's well done. Another good bowl of brown. Theon paid the iron price. First, he mm-hmm. saved Yara. He saved Sansa from Ramsay. His reunion with Sansa was emotionally resonant. For some, his sacrifice rang a little hollow, but and charging at the Night King with the spear was something literally anybody else could have done. He didn't have his Gollum arc at the end. But to me, it's not about that. But instead, Theon making that choice. He was always in search of home and identity. He found both in death. I just want you to know the things I did. Everything you did brought you where you are now. Where you belong. Home. Theon's now both a Greyjoy and a Stark. As John told him he could be last season, that he didn't have to make a choice. He literally stared death in the face. The coward turned brave. After Theon had taken Winterfell, his defense of the castle begins to wane. Maester Lewin tells him he can take the black to leave to stop trying to be someone he's not. Now he's who he always sought to be. He runs straight at death. He knows he's going to die. In the books, there's a quote from Ned that I think is resonant here. He's asked if a man can be brave when he's afraid. And Ned says, and I'm paraphrasing, you know the quote probably exactly, that's when a man can that was only, only time be brave. that a man can be brave. Right. And for it's the one writers of my favorite things, yeah. yeah for for the writers to make Theon somewhat redeemable or completely redeemable and make us care about him in the end is pretty remarkable cuz he's almost completely irredeemable until he comes back into Winterfell to protect Bran. Man, his Reek storyline is one of the most brutal things uh, in cinema or in the books. I mean, he disappears for long periods in the book. And when he does come back, it's even worse than what you see. He's obviously castrated and all that jazz, but he has broken teeth. He can hardly eat. Ramsey's cut it off digits, many more digits than the ones that are in the in the show. And uh, he's completely psychologically and physically broken. And he comes back, and he deserves it. I mean, if anybody deserves it, Sansa even told him, good, I'm glad you deserved it. 
and he paid the ultimate iron price, but he got like you just described, he got a hero's death as opposed to a coward's death. Like he avoided so many times with this uh, crazy pirate uncle. Another bad bowl of Brown. And this is a nitpick. I'm afraid that you're going to agree with <laughs> you mentioned it, but ever since game of Thrones, the show left the source material <laughs> character deaths have lost all of the ruthless sting, uh, be it due to poor writing, telegraphed deaths, whatever. There just really doesn't feel like there's stakes anymore. Game of Thrones found its plot armor after George R. R. Martin stopped giving them full guidance. Samuel Tarly, if not protected by plot, would have been dead within an hour of the long night. <laughs> and that's Max. How many times do we crying. have to see, by the way? A lot. Yeah, how many times do we have to see Jon Snow overwhelmed by the damn numbers game only to survive? I mean, that's kind of played out at this point, right? Like I said, is the, the way they jump cut the action a lot. I don't know if they were watching Jason Bourne or something a lot when they, before they shot this, but it's too close, and there's so many shots of them being overwhelmed so many different times, and then all of a sudden it comes back, and they're perfectly okay. They've developed a defensive shell. Grey Worm's in there by himself, turned into a ninja, basically. <laughs> I mean, this, this is incomprehensibly thick plot armor for Game of Thrones. But, and that, and that's, but, that, but that, and that's fine. It's because the show built itself on any of these characters being vulnerable, you had to save some of them. No, that's fair. And I think the book, the counter to this entire argument, and I'm like you, I don't really nitpick it too much. The counter is that there are 22 characters in the novel. Yeah, absolutely. Who have two or more chapters told from his or her perspective. Of those characters... 39 total. 39 now. Of those 22, 20 are still alive, although in some cases not whole or well. But George R. Martin's ruthlessness with main characters has always been a bit overstated. But still, every major character is still alive. And I can understand the criticisms that not enough died, the main characters. I mean, they could have at least shown at the end thousands of extras surrounding them, not just the main characters in the final shot. Where's the existential dread if, what, 90% of the main cast is fine? Because we both thought last week we were 100% losing Yeah, you get a bloodbath at least. Yeah, we thought we were going to lose, lose at least one of Brienne or Jamie. Grey Worm being alive is a shocker. So I guess he and Sande can definitely plan that retirement to the beaches yeah. of North. But see, the, this is what the problem is, and what you just described is that it makes them, if they die with here trying to get the Iron Throne from Cersei, that's going to make me more angry, actually, I think. It would actually make make this episode, really, it would make me end up hating as much as I hate The Last Jedi, I hate to say, because it would, it would literally make it pointless. The existential crisis was the one was supposed to make this whole pursuit of the throne and the crown pointless that was that was why it defied convention that you showed how petty humanity was and it still is in the and the show does a good job of showing it but it does it in the most haphazard way for no reason it's like these guys don't even watch their own show sometimes they make them people purposely incompetent john Daenerys. so they make us not want them to take the throne they make them want us to make cersei win that would be a way to subvert our expectations well, they Have did Cersei. subvert our expectations in that they kept these characters alive. So there is an That's argument true. to be made there. I'm I'm fine with them keeping some of these people alive. I picked them to die later because I figured most of them, like Jorah, would have to someone have to be alive for the end game because we knew that there's going to be more death following up the battle with the Night King, regardless of how the rest of the stuff shook out. This wasn't going to be the end, but. Like you said, the first battle south of the wall, where he faces any force, he loses. So it makes that whole 300,000 
dead people and you know a hundred some odd lieutenants generals whatever you want to call them and now you have to go south with no cavalry and no infantry where are you going to get an army from and it makes them the underdog this ragtag group again with two dragons with the with the air force yeah well it, it goes perfectly into my next bad bowl of brown which was we have to address it where were the white walkers craster told lord commander mormont he had 99 sons, and he sacrificed mm-hmm. them all to the Night King. You saw it when uh, the baby was carried into the Night King's castle. The very first time. The yes. very first time he was confirmed to be the Night King, and which was a them, huge deal. Turned them into White Walkers. Mm-hmm. And there were, were like nine in the long night, and they showed up at the end. We didn't get any payoff to the Valyrian steel swords. No one-on-ones, no. as we saw at Hardhome, when John faced off with the Walker and stopped his blade with Longclaw. Some have argued that the White Walkers stayed out of the fight because if they fall— the weights they brought to life fall as well, and that's mm-hmm. fair, I think. That's, that's exactly. I mean, but that and that's. Logical. Do you buy that? Yeah, but yeah, I buy that. But they also had a blizzard which they could see in, and two dragons that were absolutely lost in the air above them, and they can see. We've already they've already been shown to walk through this stuff. They had ninety. Let's just be conservative here. Ninety ice spears, and they didn't throw a single one. The only person who threw one was the Night King, and he when he missed, he was just like, oh, okay, shucks. The Night King is just, one for three throwing spears. He's missed Drogon twice. He hit, but he hit Viserion on such a yeah. – it's Kevin Durant or Steph Curry. Yeah. yeah. 74 feet away from the basket. A good bowl of brown Jorah's final stand. Jorah always wanted to go mm-hmm. home. He'd done some truly terrible things. He died defending the realm of men. He wielded Heartsbane in his father's memory. The same father he betrayed and shamed after selling – and buying and trading slaves. Lord Commander Mormont took the black in shame because of Jorah. He ultimately died at the hands of his own men at Craster's Keep. Jorah died in service of Danny, which I thought was perfectly appropriate. But the yes. greatest reward he received was from Lyanna. We have all we need to win this war. I have trained my men, women, and children. I have fought before. I can fight again. Listen to me. You're the future of our house. I don't need you to remind me of that. You'll be safer in the crypt. These things were fighting. I will not hide underground. I pledge to fight for the North, and I will fight. We're done here. I wish you good fortune, cousin. I wish you good fortune, cousin. He was accepted by his house once again. Perfectly done, I thought. Except that now House Mormont's gone too, so it's great. I love, I, I love that she got to go out like that, but they break their own rules... You have one one for one thing. I guess that's who it's supposed to be. Is I missing the eye? Correct. You, it's you know, one. It's one of the giants. They all look the one same. One of the giants. Yeah, and so they've recycled them so much. Where are the so, other giants? I guess the Dothraki no, took care no. of them. I hope. I hope so. Yeah, and I, I, I guess the did. ice spiders and the polar bears too. They spent a lot of money on that zombie polar bear. Spent a whole episode basically just for. And that was again. That was the last season. That was season seven. You forget that was the trek beyond the wall. Your favorite episode. I guess they couldn't do that. It was weird how they shifted from the whole outside World War Z zombies to the interior where they're all slow moving. Why? And then then they then they run fast again. I just don't get, I just don't get the, the some of the stuff the the direction they were going with with what they were trying to do. It became a mess in the middle. And they shot for the stars and they did a lot of good stuff. The soundtrack was incredible probably up there with the last two episodes. Of yeah. Season and the six. winds of winter. Yeah. And the win. Oh man, the winds of winter was good too. There's a lot in season seven. That's good. When the cavalry comes running in, you know, running in 
Daenerys finds John faster than any dragons ever. It was this huge rousing score, and uh, the guy's killing it. I think he does Westworld too, and Westworld's great. The whole soundtrack's great. A bad bowl of brown, Jorah died because Danny didn't have the sense to fly off immediately after landing on Drogon to protect John. Also, shocker, the mm-hmm. crypts weren't the safest place. Bran, John, Davos, you name it, have all fought or faced the army of the a dead in some former fashion mm-hmm. before, yet the greatest military minds in a time-traveling walking CPU didn't have the foresight to consider the Night King could, would raise dead bodies in the crypts. How about put like a soldier or two in the crypts when you're fighting an enemy who can raise the dead? Just all-around terrible tactics throughout the fight. Spectacle over substance. Made the plot a mess, but uh, having the spectacle and having the sheer numbers of the stuff they did, I mean, I, that was really impressive. Besides the obvious stuff we just pointed out. All right, a few more supplemental goods and one supplemental bad. I'll race okay. through it, and then we'll do some rapid wildfire questions, observations, projecting things forward. The Hound's vulnerability in the battle, which was consistent with his character. He's been trying mm-hmm. to get away from this life for so long, he abandoned his king at the Battle of the Blackwater, for example. Beric using Arya to draw him back in was a nice touch. Our girl, Leanna Mormont, that one got me. That was a legitimate surprise. <laughs> she went out like a boss. She, she killed the zombie giant just as Ramsey mm-hmm. killed 1-1 with an arrow through the eye. House Mormont, though, like you mentioned, is gone. Quick question before I get to the other supplemental goods. Was this supposedly the only giant that got through? I mentioned it just a second ago. Props to the Dothraki. They didn't die in vain. They must have wiped out the ice spiders, the polar bears. Old no, something. About. But yeah. it happens off screen, so yeah, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. Other supplemental goods. The snowstorm that obscured the flight of the dragons. The unsullied holding the line, which would have been a perfect way for Grey Worm to sacrifice himself. Arya in the library, which is a classic by-the-book horror sequence. All the dragon fighting, including the shot of the dragons in the sky dipping back down to battle. I want a poster of that, by the way, if you find one. Dang <laughs> christmas i'll this try is, this is how dragons fight in the world a lot of grappling clawing biting but what's the state of Rhaegal? this reminded it's me of the to... siege of uh, rook's rest and the battle of three dragons which gravely injured sunfire you can correct me if i'm wrong do you think there could be a longer <laughs> game at play with Rhaegal or again orcum's razor here i hope they don't kill another dragon although i feel like they might now that they're going to go south and i think that there's going to be two i think Rhaegal will be hurt and uh He'll represent John, I guess, because him and Daenerys are about to have some strife because now the real question becomes of primogeniture. Now that Sam, Bran, and John all lived along with Daenerys, we and her her side got decimated more than John's side. John's support is still mostly intact and hers is gonna be overwhelmingly disadvantaged now. I mean, because, you know, Jorah, her guy's gone. Tyrion's back hope- in play though. It's good. I think Tyrion and Sansa might end up together. And you know what? I'm okay. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I got a question about that because I am too. Okay. Wait for that. But I will. I got it. We'll put a pin pin in it. Yeah, Yeah. put a pin in that. You know about the Siege of Rook's Rest. (laughs) Is there something to that? There could be. I don't know. Um, They're they're using some vague stuff. The World of Ice and Fire and stuff like that. The battle of it reminded me of um, the story of the real The Dance of Dragons. And uh, it was the battle over the god's eye between two of the biggest dragons and two of the meanest Targaryens who were attached to both of them. One of them was a pirate like Euron with one eye. They both killed each other in current combat, and then the, they, the dragons themselves died, grasped to each other's neck. And that's how I pictured it in the books was how it was last night when Rhaegal was killing Viserion. Oh, it was amazing, which, man. <laughs> which we said, and what we said, you know, we said yeah, that that yeah. was going to be, he had to 
kill his brother. That was his. Uh, that was his opposite, and he still didn't do it. I mean, uh, it was like he was hunting Jon Snow. Well, he he ripped his face off, and then Viserion came back once mm-hmm. I guess they raised the, the Night King the dead. Yeah, he got a, he got his third life. But that shot where they're floating above the clouds, and Viserion's blue fire comes through the clouds at them. Oh man, oh I got chills watching that part. That was great. yeah. I was I was hoping for more of that. In the um in the moonlight, that was great. But I understand that um budget probably extremely expensive. Yeah, supplemental bad ghost. Better ways to deploy him than in the front lines, guys. Have him in the Godswood protecting Bran. He saved Sam from the army of the dead. He was instrumental in the battle at the wall. John told Sam to free him. I need him more than you. I don't want you out there. You can't protect me forever. There won't be anywhere to hide if the castle falls. I need him more than I need you. We need you, boy. He's alive, as the internet dug up after the episode was over, but more bad strategy by our heroes here. How precisely <laughs> he survived that opening charge into the undead with the Dothraki, I'll, I'll never know it. But the show he, is hunt, he actually you, you see ghosts you see a lot of ghost perspective from the books and that's what I actually you know I'm okay with that because ghost hunts them ghost knows where they are when John goes to sleep he has wolf dreams still which is why I think that that will be the way they communicate if those books ever get finished which they will not 100 <laughs> not 100 not get finished now now that he's seen the reaction. He's probably rewriting the Night King's material right now. So we, that's 700 pages. He just, just had to go rewrite completely. But I think Ghost is well represented just being there. and Because he's, he's fought the dead. He's fought beyond the wall. I mean, once you go beyond the wall, there's nothing that you really can't handle. He's just a, he's an old grizzled vet now. I just hate that they haven't, they're not able to show the real relationship between the Stark children. He's not just a dog. He's not just a dog, and he represents Jon Snow so well, and that's why he's. it's obvious the dire wolves are magic somehow. They kindled both the Stark, he's able to ward, but he also is a Targaryen. That's why I was hoping that maybe we got we would get Bran, him and Bran teaming up, and we may we may still we got three you know we got three episodes. They could hit us with Bran warging into a dragon now because Bran's free to do. <laughs> Well, whatever he wants. Yeah, so, I mean, he's he's free. He's free. He's uh, he's free. He he's burdenless. Free. Yes. Yeah. He can be Doctor Manhattan. He can end the Cold War. Um, and I hope I, that would be great. The show's know, handling anyway. of the Direwolves has been less than stellar for like a decade now. So this they, is what the Direwolves are in the show, right? This is what they are. This is it. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're just uh, going to be as a little side Easter eggs almost. Rapid fire, wildfire questions, observations, projecting things forward for Game of Thrones. The first, does the wall even matter anymore? I don't know. I guess that would be if they delve back into magic. Maybe they have to restart the Night King to save it from Cersei. I don't know. But I don't think they'll do something like that. I don't think they have enough time. I think they'll basically skirt over it somehow. I do think a lot of the exposition of the Night King and his backstory will be addressed in the prequel that's coming out for Game of Thrones. I think probably, that's something. Probably, yeah. I think that's probably what they're trying to do, draw viewers to the, because they're spending a whole bunch of money. They, you know, Game of Thrones has been a big moneymaker. It doesn't surprise me if I'm, they would try to funnel people that way. I'm just curious of the long night being over. Does the wall even need to be constructed anymore? The wildlings are now on the right side of the wall. 
So well, you got to repopulate literally every place between <laughs> the wall, Winterfell, and probably south of it because those people, those that the dead came from everywhere. One gripe I had: Barristan Selmy should have died here. And follow me for a second. Yeah, I think you agree with this. No, uh, yeah. Rather than in the streets of Marine against the Sons of the Harpy, he's the greatest knight the Seven Kingdoms has ever known. He deserves to die on Westeros. Yeah, and if you're one of those that thought more main characters should have died on Sunday, and you and I aren't really in that camp, well, keeping Barristan to die here and killing him here would have certainly brought more weight, would have been significant in the send-off he deserves. Well, him and Jorah dying together would be awesome too, because they would be in dying together as in service of Danny, and they're both knights. They're both knights of the Queen's Guard. He regained his honor, and Barristan Selmy was able to die protecting the rightful heir, who he thought was the rightful heir to the throne. I was bummed by that. I thought about I that, that immediately. Well, we talked about it way back when we did the very first ones of these in season five, when we started talking about Barristan Selmy dying. I told you how much that made me angry. That was one of the that's when I really had to build. I was like, you know, I'd have probably taken that a little too seriously because it's not, it's never going to be the books. I knew it wasn't going to be the books, but my connection with the character was so visceral. Those made it when they shortchanged them, but then they did it to Dorne too. And they're some of the best schemers in the whole books. They're a check against the Tyrells, especially the Tyrells because they hate the reach and the Lannisters in the West. They made Doran Martell die just in a chair and Arya Hota just, who's a, Axemen die just on a throwaway and let a bunch of strange people that don't even have any claim to the throne become the prince of Sunspear. So they've done this with, with different storylines. It's not like I expect a perfection anymore. They just, they're so inconsistent by like killing Grin in the battle for the wall. That was, he could have died here too. I like, I like Grin dying there though. I did, I did, you know, protecting the gate was great and hit man and killing Mag the mighty good for Grin. But we talk about character interactions. Doris Ed got, you know, just a few lines, and now he's toast. Because Sam couldn't get up. Again. Oh, we got to say here before we get to more rapid wildfire questions, the cleanup at Winterfell is going to be rough, man. No, they're just going to burn them all. It's going to be ripe in the spring. They're just going to have to burn them. I don't think, I don't think anything's ever going to grow around Winterfell for probably at least six, six or seven <laughs> generations. It's going to be a long time. Long Are we time. headed for uh, Danny versus John here? I, I raised the question of Danny being the big man last week. John's the reluctant leader, the quintessential principal fantasy protagonist. Danny fit for the throne, I think, is the question. I don't think Cersei has the juice. I think she's gone pretty soon. I think it's going to be John or Danny. Just listen to what Sam had to say in episode one of this season, mashed up with Danny's reaction to John's news of his parentage. This is it. Daenerys is our queen. She shouldn't be. It's treason. It's the truth. You gave up your crown to save your people. Would she do the same? If it were true, it would make you the last male heir of House Targaryen. You'd have a claim to the Iron Throne. I'm just saying, don't forget who her father is, the Mad King. It's true, but it's also his granddad, so don't forget who his family members are either. Ooh. Um, the, and the Stark people are also extremely loyal, and he has been extremely loyal. He was reluctant to tell her in the first place, and she can't see how brave he is. He was trying to protect her. They obviously love one another. 
honestly, it could be more of a fairy tale ending. I don't know. I don't think they'll do that total, but I think it's heading toward a more quote unquote traditional end than that. So I could see them surviving a little bit longer. I think she might end up, I mean, this, the, so now her being pregnant is completely plausible to weigh against Cersei, who is, I don't think is pregnant anymore. It would be a good intent. They would show, you know, who would be the one and she would fit all the archetypes. But it would also be, you could also do the bittersweet with her dying in childbirth, which I think was probably, I don't know if they're, they're probably not going to do that now. The visual of Danny on top of Drogon saying Dracarys mm-hmm. to rain fire down on the Night King was amazing. His spear miss at Drogon was heart-stopping and hilarious all the same. He's one for three. He missed Drogon twice now. But why can't fire kill him? No, I, I have no clue. They don't, they don't explain, um, and I don't think we're going to get much explanation about why. Do you have a theory he, from your book reading days? No, probably not. Because if he's if he's a, um, you know got a weakness against Valyrian steel, it would stand to reason that he would have a weakness to Dragonfire, since all the magic from the Valyrian Freehold, which is where the Targaryens, who were not any kind of big bads over from, they were more of these journeymen, and one of their line had a dream, had a prophecy, and she was called Daenerys the Dreamer. She had a, a dream that the Valerian Freehold was going to suddenly implode from the inside out. You know, she was in this cataclysmic event, which ended up becoming the doom of Valyria. And they moved to Dragonstone, which is why Aegon the Conqueror and all those people came, their whole family came. And that's when he decided to take over the Western continent. The Targaryens are built into that magic. Look, it, it doesn't make sense because Valerian steel was built and sometimes theorized to be forged with Dragonfire by Dragonfire. Why would he not be immune to the source of that? He's he's magic from the north. Of course, he would his antithesis would be fire. Where why would Dragonglass, which is made from heat, and Dragonstone, which is where the dragons lived, multiple ones. You mentioned the rook the rook's roost. Um, all those dragons were birthed on either birthed on Dragonstone or lived at Dragonstone. There were six wild ones that ended up living on Dragonstone. So they're made from their burrows, basically. Why is he weak to those things? And the real problem with them, the writers, is they don't maintain internal consistency. It doesn't matter for some stuff. But when you establish certain rules for magic and you break them, people notice. And when you make it you, your show especially dense and complex and you add a bunch of different details to it they just don't do a good job showing not telling the audience they use too much in dialogue they use too much in exposition they don't show they could have done a mashup of what brand saw they did it a couple seasons ago now we don't get anything i don't think we have time to that's why i don't think brands i don't think they'll go delving back into all this lore we just talked about dreaming and i think it's going to be more straightforward about the, po- the political aspect of it there was a solitary moment with the Night King and John in the lake battle, there was the stare down at Hardhome. He chose not to kill John in either instance. Granted, right. he went after him viciously in the air with Viserion, but this is multiple times now where the Night King has chosen not to kill John. Why did the Night King not kill John again? John may have some role to play in the end that we don't know about. He could be Nisa Nisa, you know, it could be General's reverse. He could probably die. But, you know, I just don't feel like they'll kill him after killing him already. They'll they'll do a more traditional ending. Right, but why um, would the Night King 
spare him? I have, that's a, another good question. Did he try to spare him? Was he scared of John because he felt like he was the fulfillment of the prophecy? Was he what drove him into Winterfell? You know, we don't know. We don't know. We, I don't think we're going to get that kind of explanation. And you coward. You bring in the dead back alive again because you don't want to face John. Just go face him. But it, you brought it up earlier about the Valyrian steel. We didn't get to see it in action. We talk about the importance of Valyrian steel, and obviously it was important. Arya had the Valyrian steel dagger, and that was introduced in the very first season. We talked about it when you first got into the show and you started noticing about Valyrian steel. You actually asked me, what is what, what, that's going to be important? I was like, yeah, it kills it kills the walkers. Said, And then they confirmed it with Hardhome. And since then, it hadn't been used that often. It's kind of like the White Walkers themselves. They've been shown to be this vague threat. They've done some sporadic episodes, but they their whole their characters like Jorah who've had more combined screen time than White Walkers themselves by himself in his whole character arc. So I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna delve back too much into the to the stuff that dealt dealt with Bran besides maybe showing him take over a dragon or something that can help defeat Cersei. I think it's all gonna be about Cersei now. Another nice bit of symmetry, Barrett giving his life for Arya just mm-hmm. as he gave his life for Cat in the books, resurrecting her as Lady Stoneheart. Arya in season three talked to Barrett and Thoris and Myrrh about resurrection, and there's plenty of connective tissue there. The not-so-subtle Jesus reference of Barrett on the cross was a little much. Mm-hmm. But Ned sent Barrett to go find the mountain to answer for his crimes, which set Barrett on his course to become a general for the Lord of Light and led him to the sacrifice of himself for Arya. I thought that was well done, well rounded out. It was, and it's fantasy, so there's going to be Christian references. Obviously, that's one of the main things. I mean, it all goes back to the Messiah aspect of it, the Savior aspect of it. He wasn't, if they want to explain away how Arya can get close to the Night King, that his sacrifice was able to let Melisandre, since he was powered by the Lord of Light, for lack of a better term, and she is an obvious good conduit, that she was able to mask Arya's presence while he was more focused on Bran, when his entire being was focused on Bran. You know what? That's plausible. But don't allow it, your audience to fulfill that. Show it or tell it. Yeah, that's, and that's too a problem in telling writing. It. Yeah. yeah, and, that's, and that's, that's fine. I mean, everything else, I felt tense from the very moment, oh, yeah. the, from the word go. I liked opening with Sam. Some didn't. I liked that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's fine. I mean, as much as Sam's a coward. Yeah, no business. There, you are the bit, reason yeah. Dolores Ed is dead. Your friend is dead because you're mm-hmm. fat and we're laying there on the ground. He's George R. R. Martin personified. George R. R. Martin wanted to be the quarterback, bro. You're the center. Just accept it. He's not even the center. He's the backup center. <laughs> He's the guy who gets taped and goes out there first. He's the guy who takes practice the most serious. <laughs> oh, really gives it his all in scout team. Mm-hmm. Arya had a cool line to Sansa. She gave her the dragon glass and says, stick them with the pointy end. That's a callback to John giving her needle. I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, there was the spear reveal as well in a quiet moment, and Arya comes in just taking folks out, wielding the spear she did when she faced off against the Waif. Davos looks at her like she's a badass, and I think that was a nice proxy for the audience was Davos. Do you think we'll see more Arya in the spear or gifts, for lack of a better term? Yes. Okay. I do. I think she'll play a part in bringing down House Lannister for good. Okay. Okay. Even though I think that Jamie killing Cersei is back. We, I, I predicted that a long time ago. That's one of the longest Herald theories. Probably of any book reader, if, you're, if you've read the books and been on the internet in the last decade, that Jamie will end up killing Cersei. And I still think that, that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping if they're going to have this, these characters come back together, that's what they're going to do. Because that, that would be great fan service. And we're getting Clegane Bowl. 
Yeah, 100%. and you know, I'm, I'm. That's that's you know, there's reasons, there's reasons to be hopeful. Yeah, um, I, I do like a theory you had going into the long night, and I really wanted it to happen. It didn't. But Jamie sacrificing himself for Brienne, mm-hmm. thus becoming Oathkeeper personified, that didn't happen. It could still happen. I'm okay you with know. Jamie being mm-hmm. the Valencar prophecy coming mm-hmm. to fulfillment. There could be so many of them. Arya killing her too. You know what? Cersei's last, the last one on her list. But they People. gave Arya the Night King. I don't believe they'll give her the Arya, the Night King, well, and that was that was, a, that was a virtue expectation. You wouldn't think she would get. She would literally fulfill her arc. She would cross off the last name. And she would fulfill it. She's the little, she's the Valenquire. She would be the Valenquire personified too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, and again, I don't, I don't mind. I just had, like I said, she was at worst second or third on both, in both of those polls. If you're talking about people, I would want to kill them. I want her to kill a lot of people. And her as Walter Frey was one of my favorite moments of the show. Probably ever. It just shows that this, the rush nature of the last two seasons the way they had to slam the storylines together, they had to sacrifice some stuff for, for TV to make it watchable TV. But they're here, my lord. Here, my lord. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, slicing his throat, that was great. Yeah, and when he picks up the top of the pie and sees a toe, that's oh, so good. And that was a great call-out. That was great for, for uh, us dorky book readers, snobby book readers, who the love for the fray pie is one of the main things for the Grand Order Conspiracy. Where are my damn moron sons? Black Walder and Lothar promised to be here by midday. They're here, my lord. Well, what are they doing? Tell them to come here, now. But they're already here, my lord. Here, my lord. They weren't easy to carve. Especially Black Walder. My name is Arya Stark. I want you to know that. The last thing you're ever going to see is a Stark smiling down at you as you die. That's one of where that's where it all fray pies or where it starts. If you if you want to delve into the books. They're basically having a feast in Winterfell, one of the very last chapters of the you know, the Dance of Dragons. Wyman Manderly, who is the Lord of White Harbor, the one who sends Davos on his quest to find Rickon, because Rickon's still alive and he's not a dumb teenager who can't Zig. zigzag. <laughs> I wanted to see Rickon come out of the crypts of Winterfell you know, it, and show he could zigzag. Mm-hmm. You know what? That would have been great. That would have trolled the audience and I would have loved it. I would have completely endorsed that maneuver. But uh, Wyman Manderly has been wanting to kill the phrase for a very long time. They killed his son and heir at the Red Wedding, and when they sent his bones home, he planned to kill the three phrases. And they, he he uh, recognizes all the niceties of the current court, because they're playing nice. He kills them, and he cooks them into pies, and he's serving them at this feast. He eats five slices himself. He's this big, huge fat guy. They call him to Lord Too Fat to Sit a Horse, because he's so fat he can't sit. I mean, he's 380 pounds, almost 400 pounds. So he's cooked these three phrases. And he starts a confrontation. He starts insulting the phrase. He tells a joke and said, uh, I told her it could be worse. You could grow up to be a fray to one of his daughters. <laughs> and uh, they try to kill him. 
all hell breaks loose. I mean, there's Frey soldiers being murdered by Lady Stoneheart. They think it's Lady Stoneheart's men, but it's really Mance Raider, who's still alive in the books. But you see, people talk about how George R. R. Martin's is, is so, so bloodthirsty. The two showwriters are far more bloodthirsty than George thought about being. So Mance Raider's alive, disguised with him and a bunch of his assassin women, spearwives, as Abel the Bard, he's a bard who's come in with his with his women. They can play instruments too, so they sing, but they're also murdering others. They're basically undermining the Boltons to reinstall the Starks at Winterfell. Is where that where that all is, where Frey Pies came from. The Granular Conspiracy says that there's a bunch of different houses that are going to reinstall, and that's where it starts. Is Davos has to go to this island of cannibals called Skagos, which is in the eastern sea up the up in the very north. And it's this big rocky crevice, and him and the Osha. Do you remember Osha, yeah. who Ramsay killed? Okay, him and Osha have fled with his direwolf Shaggy Dog to that island, and he's got it. And that's where Davos is going. When the last time you see Davos, so Davos is anywhere near Winterfell. He never gets close. All right, let's talk about Arya's vertical leap. It's similar, at least to me, to Gendry's sprint in its implausibility, but they made sure to deliberately <laughs> show a wind thrust a close-up shot of a White Walker's hair blowing forward. But what right. got her there? No, she didn't take the face of a White Walker away. The Walkers can only die of Valyrian steel, and when they do, they shatter into pieces. Any theories on how Arya got to the Night King? Shadow baby from the Hound of Melisandre. The Hound, the Hound overcame his fear of fire, literally. How does the Hound produce a shadow baby? I don't know. <laughs> He's, he's, he could be, uh, that's the thing, you know, how did they produce Shadow Baby in the second season to kill Rinley? How did Melisandre birthed the baby? Mm-hmm, exactly. She did, she could birth babies. I mean, she just, you know, she, you, she lit trenches on fire. She raised Jon Snow from the dead with no previous, she burned a kid alive and couldn't do any of this stuff. Well, she did melt the snow, I guess. So, yeah, they, there's no reason she can't produce a Shadow Baby for the Hound. What's wrong with him? Well, the Hound and Melisandre are shown coming out of the room. I know. So hey, that's what I'm saying. They, they come out of the room and there's no zombies. It's more plausible than some of the other stuff out there. I'm just, that's just me spitballing. I have a theory that they put her in one okay. of those catapults and just shot her there. The trebuchet. Yeah. They're going to they're vault her into the guy. And look, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying it's implausible for her to get that close. It's the castle she grew up in. It's the castle she knows most intimately. That's, one, that's the one that's plausible because you've heard yeah. it so many times. There, there are, ways in and out of Winterfell that are hidden, and she would know those mm-hmm. places. Right. Again, it's show, not tell. They do it off screen. Yeah. They don't, you don't know how she got there, which is fine. And if it's a simple explanation, I'm just tired of them doing things like executing Stannis off screen and having a line of, one line of dialogue afterwards doesn't excuse, doesn't excuse it. Excuse it in my book. That's all. Yeah. Our list of questions that need answers, Tyrion and Sansa. Okay. They shared an embrace but, in the crypts. Loved it. They mm-hmm, have a complicated mm-hmm. relationship. And I think we now have to bring Sansa back into the fold as a candidate for the Iron Throne. And you and I are shipping Tyrion and Sansa now. I've been doing that for a long time before the podcast, yeah. Uh, you know, that would make sense. Either Jamie's dead or in the King's Guard and Queen's Guard, whatever you want to call it. If Jamie lives now, he can fulfill his promise to Rhaegar that he made, that he would protect Rhaegar's children. He has a dream. When I told him the reason I thought that Jamie was going to die in the first place, because the dream he has when he falls asleep on a weirwood tree stump, and he has this wicked dream where all the Kingsguard that were with him accuse him of all the crimes he was he done. And that's when Rhaegar yells at him and says, "You promised to protect my children. You you stood on a knee. You got on a knee, and you promised and swore an oath that you would protect my children. You stabbed my father. 
it would be a way to repay that by protecting his his real his son and heir, Aegon. Yeah, I love and that. so Tyrion. So Tyrion could be Lord of the West. He could be Warden of the West. Now Sansa is the Lady of Winterfell and the Wardeness of the North. It's a marriage made in heaven. The West and the North have peace. And the Iron Islands as well, because Yara's the she can be the Lord Reaper or whatever she wants to call herself. They're on Pike. I so. am bummed out that they didn't lose Winterfell and retreat to the Iron Islands. I thought that was a slam dunk prediction we were going to make. But they still could. They could lose to Cersei in an initial battle because I don't think we're done with battles. Yeah. So because mm-hmm. three and five are directed by the same director who's directed all their major but major battles. So I, I feel like episode five you're going to get another one. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think next week will be more set up. They'll probably have people mad all over again. Yeah, yeah, well, that's to be expected at this point. <laughs> I mean, we're we're more upset with this episode and everybody else is praising it, so I don't know. I give it a I'm solid not, B. Really. For anybody that wants to know, I give this episode a solid B. Solid B. It just should have been a little bit more as we've detailed. All right, we've got to finish this out. Okay, here we go. How do they deal with Cersei? And before we get to that, Cersei is the smartest person on the show, apparently. She just waited back, drank wine. Let the army of the dead attack these people who voluntarily fought them. And if you live in Essos, and this is one of the earliest beefs I've had, and I had I talked to you about this on this podcast in season five, season six, season seven. Man, you should just live in Bravos. If you live in Bravos or anywhere in Essos for that matter, you don't have a care in the world. You didn't even know what was going on in Winterfell. The long night was happening for you. Sunday was just another day. Yeah, but they'd have you know the, the long night. And this is why it was such an abrupt death. The reason why you felt so unfulfilled, a lot of people felt unfulfilled, is because the Long Night sweeps over all of the eastern continent, too. It happens on the other side of the continent. There's, there's five forts, which is, in George R. R. Martin's term, is China. It's called Yi Ti, and it's, on the far, it's in the far east. And they have the Mountains of the Moon, and in the mountains are five forts that defend against what are, they describe as White Walkers to spare you the long explanation. Those ring forts that are in the mountains uh, are basically the Wall, Castle Black, East Watch by the Sea, Shadow Tower, all those. It's, it's their version of it. So it happens all over Essos, too. There would be no hiding from him. So they shortchange him in that he got beat by a cripple, which is good. I mean, it's just fine. If Bran is manipulating it somehow and, and he was able to protect Arya in some way, which is fine, too. I don't. Arya killing Night King... Is not the problem. It was inarguably an awesome moment. I screeched. Yeah. I yelled in my office. <laughs> I did a, oh my God! Thought I woke up my kids. Oh God! When he looked down, I saw him dropping it. That was, it was, I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Little bait and switch there. Do you see a seismic... Oh, wait, 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 wait. We didn't ask the question. How do they deal with Cersei? She could honestly win this if they want to subvert your reputation. I don't think she's going to. Um, I think that she'll have Jamie or Arya kill her, most likely, at the end. Do you see a seismic John and Danny rift coming? Not a seismic one, but yeah, there's there's some be some drama coming. I think it's going to be coming from the Daenerys side. I think they'll stoke the flames that she's the Mad Queen a little bit. Varys has had what two three lines of dialogue. Maybe they'll give him some action finally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tyrion and Varys are now anything. back in play big time. Yeah, so that's okay too. They're both interesting characters, and it's much more interesting than watching them cower in a crypt. What's the overall arc of the show now that the Night King is gone? Like, what is Who John's died? fulfillment? It's basic. Who's the who's who's going to sit down on throne? Right, but like, so, what what is John's role? Big role to play now. What is Danny's role to play? That's the he's biggest. he is. I mean, by all rights, the um, heir to the throne of the Targaryen dynasty. But according to the current rules in Westeros, that none of that even matters. Cersei 
has no right to the throne by either her husband, her children, or her other and her house name. She's ruling as Cersei Lannister, the first of her name. The primogeniture is completely tossed out the window. You don't have to. I mean, it's it's pointless. And I think John really doesn't care. I think he really doesn't care about the titles. I think it's more about knowing who his parents are. I think that's what is not getting translated with these shortened episodes, um, especially with giving that news and then having the battle directly afterwards. Now we have quick fallout of do we just going to move through what, who what the what's going to be next? Okay, you're wardeness of the north, you're warden of the west. What is Jon Snow going to be? Where is Jon Snow fit? It has to be as proclaimed king. And that's what the problem is with the Night King being gone so soon is that John and the prophecy and the theorizing about Azor High. Now John's just another piece of the machine, and that's that's unfortunate. All right, now that the show has narrowed in scope, I mentioned Tyrion is back in play. What role can he play? Mediator, and uh, after the whatever the downfall, falling action that comes after this. The Make Dane Tyrion smart again. That's the, what's going to happen. Make Tyrion smart again. They could, and I think that that's really they. That was Jorah's main takeaway: is that Tyrion was going to help her somehow. I hope he does, and I hope that him and Bran have a connection too, because he he built the saddle for Bran in season one. That would be a nice callback they could do. And Tyrion's not is not an evil person. He's not ruthless. All that stuff that, that Daenerys described to him is just him being pragmatic. It's not because he's vicious at heart like Cersei is. I think Sansa will. Be that not be that check. That's why I think they'll end up together at the end. Lastly, do you expect to pay off from Tyrion and Bran's conversation that we didn't get to listen in on? Somewhere, hopefully, I don't. I don't really know what they could do in the meantime. But maybe Tyrion's the reason they figured out. Seemed too much of a coincidence to say that you know I think that we're going to live and that everybody in that conversation lived. Podrick and Brienne and all the people that were out there. All you had to do was be drinking. See. It's it's really an alcohol commercial. Yeah, you said Valerian Steel was the plot armor. No sir. Yeah, I did. No, I was just I was just wrong. I was off. It was, I was the off wine. The, it mm-hmm. was the wine. So and whatever Torben putting that John's milk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think they'll semi stick the landing? What is your confidence level right now? Uh, I'm still intrigued. Obviously, I'm just disappointed that um, that the Night King was built. But it's how I felt about. Well, obviously, a much lesser scale than I did about. Uh, the Snoke character in the new sequel trilogy of the Star Wars. It's just, it was a lot of build up with really no, we didn't get to see, you know, like we saw, for instance, with, you know, if you would talk about great movie villains and fully realized villains, like full powered Joker in the Dark Knight steals the whole show. The villain makes the, the whole, whole thing better. You can't have a good Sherlock Holmes if you don't have a good Moriarty. And I thought, and I, many people thought that the Night King was going to be that bad guy. And now it's you just come back to Cersei and you're on Greyjoy. That's not nearly as intriguing as them. Now, it makes it more intriguing from a strategic standpoint because now there's no cavalry. There's no army to speak of that Daenerys has. She's going to need the northern houses to even fight Cersei. But that's not, that's not nearly as interesting as, um, as trying to fight another dragon. This has been The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I'm Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford, Warden of North Mississippi. He's Maester Daniel on loan from the Citadel. We'll do it again next week. It's going to be a lot more of people talking in rooms, and that's my favorite kind of Game of Thrones. So while, yes, I had my issues with The Long Night, I still love the epic nature of it. That's one thing I want to make abundantly clear. (laughs) 
I, I was I, I loved you got you, you got on the internet too you got on the internet too early you 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 let your words you let your words flow and you had you got the heat you got to start feeling I heat. didn't even say much all I said was I was underwhelmed and boom you can't see there there is no there is no gray area anymore no you no. can't just say meh anymore about you something. either loved it or you're a hater. If we started talking about Avengers Endgame in this, we could probably you could Uh-oh. probably uh, you could inflame a lot more. You could inflame a lot more attention too. Uh oh, uh oh. Yes, somebody We're, said, "Oh well, I'm like you, Ben. I was let down, but that's after watching Endgame like two hours before that, and I wanted to go." Dude, <laughs> I loved Endgame. I loved it. I, but, but you I, don't have. But see, this you can, It's not the. It's not the same for you. Yeah, it's I don't care about that emotionally the same as I do Game of Thrones. It's different. So I'm okay with the logic leaps. It's all right. It's okay. Just, the incoherence uh, I can forgive in in game because it didn't make a lick of damn sense. But with Game of Thrones, it's different. It's a different feel for me. <laughs> take it too serious. You know, yeah. you, we reverse reverse positions. Now you take yeah. it too seriously. Yeah, 100, 100. percent But that's why we do the night is dark and full of spoilers. Valor Magulis. That was cool when Melisandre said that to um, Grey Worm, and he just casually before he's about to go fight the dead. Valor de Hades. And he boy, boy did he. Boy, he 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 got his numbers. You're talking about numbers. He got his. He got his, and now he can retire to the beaches of North. Congratulations to Masande and Grey Worm. Until next week. (laughs) All right, man.